0: And using the journey of the Magi as a metaphor of sorts, that God is asking us this question of, of, of where do you begin, what did you bring, and how far have you come? And so we've been tackling those questions one at a time. We started with this idea of, of where do you begin? If I want to have the heart of a Magi, if I want to be be found faithful like they were, they were faithful, to go to such an extent to fulfill their purpose, to be a part of the story that God is writing in the world because you have a part that you're supposed to play. Whether or not it's ever going to be written down for the world to know, you have a part that you're supposed to play, and your part is just as important as the parts that are famous. And, and if you're going to be found faithful in that, if, if, if you're going to have the kind of heart that you need to walk in your divine purpose, where do you begin? And so we, we answered the question that we took out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul talks about if you believe something to be true, if you hold that belief in your hand, then don't live as if you're empty-handed. That's where it starts for all of us, is that we've got to close the gap between what we believe and how we now live. Last week, we began to dig around the question of what did you bring? There is a material 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 response that Christ expects from us, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That was by God's design. There was something material that's part of the Christmas story, and it's through acts of generosity through Christ and His work in this world, especially His church. God made it part of the Christmas story because it's supposed to be part of our lives. And so, Jesus asked us, what did you bring? What did you bring by way of generosity? And so, we started with that last Week about how our generosity reveals our heart. And this week, what I want to do is I want to share five insights that I've observed in some of the most generous people that I've ever met, because I want these five things to be observed in me. As people live my life, if you want, as you watch me live my life, as I watch you live your life, I believe that these five insights are supposed to be a part of all of us. And so, I'm going to start tonight with the feeding of the 5,000. That's kind of where we finished last week, and in keeping with our theme of praying and feasting, come on, for January. Isn't that good? Aren't you excited about that? Isn't that great? Come on, as other churches are saying, what kind of fast are you doing? You can say, no, no, we're doing, we're feasting this year. It's all throughout the Bible. You should check it out. All right, come on. Come on. And then you're going to have to wait for the 20-year anniversary to do it again, just so you know. So you you enjoy your feast this year because you got nine years of fasting that are coming after that. Just just for the record. Just for the record. All right, the feeding of the 5,000, it, it appears in three of the Gospels. It appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew 14, Mark 6, and, and, and Luke 9. Now, all the notes for tonight are online. We put it on our website, so we we'll are probably move faster than maybe you prefer, than if you're a note taker, but we put the documents online and also through version, you can go on. It's a live event. All the verses self-populate and all the notes are in there as well. So I highly encourage you to check that out because we do that every week and it's a great way for you to follow along. So I want to read specifically out of Mark, specifically out of Mark. And if we don't get all of these done tonight, we'll pick up with them next weekend. Mark chapter six, Mark chapter six, I want to start reading in verse 35 because the first... Thing that I've observed in people that are incredibly genuine, uh, generous, is that believing, they believe in that His house multiplication principle. There's something I believe in the Bible, I'm going to show it to you now, called the His house multiplication principle. And people that have an incredible generosity towards Christ and His work, they believe in this principle. All right, Mark 6 35. Late in the afternoon, as his disciples, referring to Jesus, came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go, buy, go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. And with that, they asked, we, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, we know from the other Gospels, right, that it's a little boy that was willing to give up his food. I think maybe Peter Strong-armed him, but that's just my own opinion. Give me that food, right? All right, no, okay. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down. Listen to what Jesus said. Sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 and 100. Now, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up toward heaven, and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, here it comes. Here's the first multiplication event. He kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. Because you and I both know that he's got twelve disciples, right? You're with me, and and he, it, if if all that he was breaking was just the five loaves and the two fish, he would have run out long before he got to the twelfth disciple. So the the text here is telling us something. This phrase here, he 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 kept giving. In the Greek, it's it's to let us realize that hey, something supernatural is happening here. He should not have been able to continue giving to all twelve with what He had. First multiplication event, right there. So they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. Now listen to what it says. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up twelve baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families. So it's just, just the 5,000 refers to the men and their families. So this crowd was in excess of 10,000 people, and their families were fed from those loaves. Now, I believe that when you look at this story, there are multiple multiplication events, right? Is that when you look at all the different gospels, we have this picture. Here's Jesus, right? Something has been given to him. It's five loaves and two small fish have been given to Him. He has 12 disciples that are standing there, and and it says that He keeps giving to them. So, it's multiplying here. Now, unless you've ever met a person who can carry enough bread and fish to feed 50 to 100 people, right? I've never met anybody like that, right? Then that means that When they got to the groups of the 50 and the 100, and there's lots of groups of 50 and 100 if it's going to add up to over 10,000 people, you tracking with me? Each one of these disciples is walking around with some bread and some fish. And as they give it, the implication is, as they give it to each group, it doesn't say they were in lines. It says they were in groups. And so you and I, right, we can understand that they're taking it and they're passing it back. They're taking it and they're passing it back. So it multiplies as Jesus gives it. It multiplies as the disciples give it. And it multiplies as they share it amongst each other. And don't you love that there were 12 basketfuls left over? Don't you love that about God? Right? Because He's a God of more than enough. He's not a a God of just get by. He's a God of more than enough. And I believe this story teaches us something about God. And it's the His house multiplication principle. Because if this little boy had eaten the bread and the fish that he brought, Maybe he would have been satisfied, but even he, as we talked about last week, got to eat actually more. Are you with me? He got to eat more than if he had kept what he had. And because he gave it to Jesus, it became more than it was if he had kept it to himself. Are you with me? I believe that God is saying that same thing to us. That, that when he asks us to give to his work... When He asks us, like the Magi, there's a material response that we're supposed to have to Christ. When He asks us to give our money, a portion of our money, to the work of Christ, to support missionaries, to support missions organizations, to 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 to, to give generously to the church that you call home, wherever that is, all of those things that represent giving something to Jesus, that You do that because you believe that that dollar will go farther in His house than it will if it stayed in your own. You with me? It goes farther in his house than if it had stayed in your house. That's what we see in the the picture of these fish and this bread, that that would have only gone so far with the boy. But because he gave it to Jesus and Jesus blessed it, and then he began to distribute it, it became more than what it ever could have if it had remained with him. Now, if you don't believe that to be true, then you should come to our business meeting at the end of February where we lay out all the numbers in crazy detail, right, for the whole church. We have an open books philosophy here. And when you, if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time and you see what they're is by way of what comes in and by way of what gets accomplished, then you will be convinced in the His house multiplication principle. What you give and then what can be done with that is so much more than if you had kept it for yourself. Believing in the His house multiplication principle. Not the Chris house, the His house. Saying Chris is like, I think he's, they're giving me something tonight. All right. I have a material response to Jesus when I believe that my money will go farther in His house than it will in my house. All right, number two, resisting the temptation of covetousness. I like that word. It makes your mouth work a little bit. Resisting the temptation of covetousness. I'm going to read out of Luke 12. We're going to come out of Luke 12 quite a bit tonight. Luke 12, 13 to 15, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? I think the the reason Jesus is saying that to him is that he's saying, hey, don't invite me into your life to tell you what to do just in the moments when you're trying to tell me what to tell you to do. He's saying, if you want me to be the judge over your life, because I am supposed to be, because I'm the sovereign creator of the universe, then you need to let me tell you what to do all the time. Then he's, thank you. See, even children know the truth when they hear it. Then he said, listen to what Jesus says, beware Guard against every kind of greed. In the King James, it says covetousness. And I'm going to talk about that word greed, which gives us this it's the word covetousness. It's the Greek pleonixia. And then Jesus says, Life is not measured by how much you own. Life is not measured by how much you own. What are some things when you're eating them you cannot stop? Come on, raise your hand, I'll point to you and you tell me. What's so Yo, well, well played. My wife's coconut pie. Uh, chocolate. chocolate. Any other hands over here? Did I see some other hands go up? Seth? Pizza. Yes, we witnessed that with him on Saturday, last Saturday night. Nachos. Yeah, just any kind of nachos? or right? yeah, all right. David, your hand go up. Hot Krispy Kreme donut. Hot, Chris, can we just have a moment of silence for that? <laughs> Hot Krispy Kreme donut. Somebody else, Ryland? You second that, Marvin. Chips. Any kind of chip or just any chip? Doritos. Doritos. All right. Let's get specific. For me, it would be the, what's the kind we like? Sweet lime chili Doritos? Yes. I, I'm right. White cheese dip. White, cheese dip. White, that's yours. White cheese dip, Samantha. Chipotle. Chipotle. I see hands back there. Hands back there. Those kids back there. Sausage, Sausage balls. balls. Come on. <laughs> Girl, after my own heart. What about the young man next to her? Oh, come on, the soft peppermints that your dad buys. Is that what he said? Yeah, yeah. The ones that you think they're hard and you bite and they just kind of cave in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know them well. I know them. Somebody else? Anybody back here? Anybody? Something you eat and you can't stop? Anybody? You don't want to confess in church, I understand. (laughs) Carrie, and then we'll come to Donna. M&M's, Donna? Dark chocolate M&M's. I'm a peanut M&M kind of guy. Brad? Peppermint patties. Yeah, every year for my dad would get for Christmas for my mom, uh, planners, peanut brittle, and peppermint patties, and he would put them together and bite them at the, at the same time. I know it's a little bit different, isn't it? But that was, that's, he loved it. That was an ooh of I'm not sure, right? I recognize that sound. Two, two of mine are Cajun Trail Mix. Where did we get the Cajun Trail Mix? Walmart? I'm just telling you, do not buy it there's something in there that's addictive. Cajun trail mix and Swedish fish is is my candy of recent, right? One of my kids, I think it was Ethan, got Swedish fish. Was it the White Elephant for RC? And uh, I found that late one night when they were all asleep. Come on. (laughs) Because if it's in my house, it belongs to me, right? It's just like Jesus. And so, what, you, what I found here, you're not going to know that I'm a foodie, when you're eating Swedish fish, you should smash them and stretch them, and the flavor just really gets released, right? And so, so, you know this feeling with whatever your thing is, which with me is Cajun trail mix, or just recently, Swedish fish. There's a moment that you get to where you say, if I were to stop now, I'm, I would be okay. And then you have that thought for about a tenth of a second, and you plow right through! And you keep going because you say the pain is worth it because my palate is hungry. Your stomach is saying, stop now. And your palate is saying, empty the bag, right? That's pleionaxia. That's the feeling. You've had it. I've had it. And that's what Jesus is saying to these young men. Beware of covetousness. This, this feeling that enough is never enough. This feeling of I must have more. Now, what this young man was asking was something significant. We've talked about it here before at church, that 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 in Jesus' day, according to the Jewish tradition, that, that when the father died and the inheritance was divided up just amongst the sons, it was a very chauvinistic time in history, just the sons, and the oldest son gets a double portion. So, if there are two sons, the inheritance gets divided three ways. If there are four sons, it gets divided. Five ways, and the oldest son gets two portions because now he's the head of the household. And if you are the head of your household, you know that it costs you money. There's responsibility that comes with being the head of your household, and so there's added resources by God's design in the Jewish culture to fund the responsibility that they had. So this is the younger brother that's coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, tell my brother to divide it with me. What he's saying is, it should not be divided three ways. It should be divided two ways because I want more of what my father is leaving. It's interesting, isn't it, that he does not ask for more of the responsibility. He does not say, God, tell my brother to let me share in the work of caring for our family. He only wants the money. It's Swedish fish, it's Cajun trail mix, it's peppermint patties to him. He cannot get enough of that money. And he's willing for his family to suffer because of it. Oh, it's rich, isn't it? And Jesus says, oh, you better watch out because if you let that feeling rule your heart, you're in trouble. It's this, this idea that, that, that if you live a life where you always want more, then you will never give enough because you'll always keep it for yourself. I have a material response to Jesus when I resist the temptation to measure my life by having more and more. Let me read that again. I have a material response to Jesus when I resist the temptation to measure my life by having more and more. All right, let's do number three. Number three, desiring richness toward God. Desiring richness toward God. All right, I'm going to come back to Luke 12. I'm going to start in verse 16. Start in verse 16. It says, then he told them a story. So this is right after him, him challenging these two young men. Now he gives a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you you have enough stored away for years to come. I'll take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now this is why we say when you're studying the Bible, don't just read run translation. And if you really want to study, then you should always reach for, one of my favorites is the New American Standard Bible. Because what happens in some of these modern translations, the New Living Translation usually gets it right. I would say most of the time. It's one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite Bibles to read. But sometimes the people that did the work of interpreting, they read into the text and then they insert something to clarify a meaning that's not supposed to be there. So let me read this verse to you out of the New American Standard, which is one of the most literal translations of the Bible. It's a little bit harder to read because it doesn't flow, because these words aren't inserted, but it's important for study. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The word relationship is not put in there, and it does not belong in there, because that is not the context of this text. Here in the Greek, this word rich is pluteo, and it means an abundance of material possessions, Now, can it be used metaphorically in a relational sense? It can be, but only when the context tells you that. And the context here is clear. God is talking about material possessions. In all the verses leading up to this story, and then in the verses that come after, Jesus is talking about stuff. Now, that makes people nervous because this idea of being rich toward God, it kind of causes us to maybe slip into this mentality that I can buy my way into a right relationship with God, and we know that that's not true because of the doctrine of grace. But the doctrine of grace does not displace the rest of the truth of the Scripture that talks about the material response that Jesus expects from us. He expects us to have a generous response to Him. And right here, Jesus is saying there is a richness that He expects us to have to God. And when I desire a richness towards God, when I desire a richness towards God, More than I desire a richness in my standard of living, then my material response to Jesus, come on, will be generous. All right, next one. Remembering that Jesus is watching. Any of you grew up in a church home like I did and your parents caught you doing something that you weren't supposed to do and they they give you, right, the finger? This one, though? And they say... Jesus is watching you, right? It's a frightening thing for a child, right? He is watching you. I think as we grow up, we forget the truth of that statement because He never stops watching, and He really is. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. I want to read verse 41. Here it is, right here. Mark chapter 12. 41 to 44, Jesus sat down, listen to what it says, near the collection box in the temple, and He watched as the crowds dropped in their money. You tracking with me? It would be, I, let me, I want to make it real for you, it would be that as if when we took up the offering here every Saturday night, not only would there be an usher that passed the basket, there would be an usher that followed and worked his way through the aisle, pardon me, excuse me, and watched every person and what they put in, right? Right? Now, you know that we're not ever going to do that because Jesus is probably the only one that ever should. But guess what? Jesus did do it. And you know why? Because He's watching. Listen, listen to what it says. He sat down right by the collection box. Can it, right? it was just as inappropriate 2,000 years ago as it is today. He just sat down there and watched as crowds dropped in their money. Now, many rich people put in large amounts then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins, and Jesus called his disciples to him and said, right, so they, I would just want to make it real. So the usher that's following, not only are they watching, but at some point they stop and begin to give commentary on what people are giving, right? I know. You would not come back to this church the next week, and you shouldn't if we were to do that. But can I tell you somebody is following the usher and the basket down the aisle, and his name is Jesus. And he's watching everything that we do. And he's giving commentary to the heavens. I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of the surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Come on. Because she knows that Jesus is watching. Luke 12 Luke 12, 41 to 48. I want to start with the first part here, 41. Listen to the first part of this text, 41. Peter said, Lord, is that… Is that illustration just for us or for everyone. And the Lord replied, a faithful and, and, and sensible servant is one whom the master can give the response. To. So what we just read was out of Mark 12. This is going to come out of Luke 12. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. And if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But if that servant servant thinks, my master won't be back for a long while, then he begins beating the other servants, right, because he doesn't think the master can see him. He doesn't realize that Jesus is watching. If he starts beating the other servants and partying and getting drunk, and the idea, right, that all of this partying and getting drunk is, is being done with the money that he was supposed to do something else with, the master will return unannounced, unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces, right? We don't read this one in kids' church, right? Jesus cutting up people with a sword. Now, here the New Living Translation says, and will banish him with the unfaithful. They missed it here again, right? Because you really can't banish people that have been dismembered. Are you tracking with me? It, it, it says literally that they will be assigned a place with the unbeliever, which means that they will be buried in a grave with people that are set apart from the faithful of God. A servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. In the New American Standard, it says that he will be severely flogged. And then as you continue to read, it talks about punished lightly, but in the Greek, it literally says they will only be whipped just a few times. I know! So I brought something here. Here. Because many of you, the only picture you have of Jesus when you get to heaven is Him waiting for you with a smile, petting a lamb. But for some of us, He's waiting there with this, and there's a money spanking that we're going to get. It's right here in the story. And He gives us this story because it's true, is that we live our lives as if Jesus is not watching. We live our lives as if everything we have belongs to us, but nothing that we have belongs to us. Everything that we own belongs to Him. It's all His. And he says to you, and he says to me, you've got to start giving more of what you have away because I didn't intend you to keep it all. It's why there's so many stories in the Bible about stewardship in these. We read the story and we go, how could they have done that? Did they not understand that what they had did not belong to them? And I think that's when the Holy Spirit whispers to us, no, you're that person in the story. And we forget sometimes that there's going to be accountability for us when we get to heaven. And Jesus right here says that there is punishment even for the faithful, right? Not keeping us out of heaven because the doctrine of grace says that we make it in. But once we get in, He's going to have a conversation with us based on what He saw. I have a material response to Jesus when I desire being rich toward God, more rich toward God, than to my standard of living. Remembering that Jesus is watching. All right, no, that was the wrong one. That was the one from before. Here it is. I have a material response to Jesus when I remember that He is watching and that I am accountable. I'm accountable. All right, last one. Last one. Keeping the eternal in focus keeping the eternal in focus. Listen to this verse. This is out of Revelation 18:14. It says the fancy things that you loved so much are gone they cry. All your luxuries and splendor are gone forever, never to be yours again. And then out of Matthew 6, which is really a companion check text to Luke 12, 19 to 24, it says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also." Your eye is a lamp and provides light to your body. What does that mean? It means your point of view. It means your perspective in life. Your point of view guides you in this life. When your eye is good, when your point of view is good, your whole body will be filled with light, but when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness, and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is, right? It's talking about deception. Here it comes. No No one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. As I was praying for this earlier today, I felt like God spoke to me. I threw this out on Twitter. God created a material world for us to enjoy, but He never intended that enjoyment to eclipse our passion for eternity. He wants us to enjoy this life. He wants us to have fun. He wants us to find things like Cajun trail mix and Swedish fish that make us happy. If He didn't want us to, He wouldn't have enabled this mouth to taste. He wants us to appreciate beauty. If He didn't, then He would have made the world one color and it would have just been functional. But the world is not just functional. It's perfectly functional, but it's also perfectly beautiful. Are you with me? God wants us to experience pleasure. But the gift of the capacity to experience pleasure was never supposed to eclipse our passion for the eternal. The temporary, it matters because God created the temporary for us to find fulfillment, but only to a certain degree. We must, we must keep the eternal in focus. I have a material response to Jesus when my focus is kept on the eternal. You to invite the worship team to come back up I brought some books tonight... These are books that we have given out over the years, and so I just brought a bunch of them because if you're here tonight and you're saying, hey, I want to learn more about what the Bible has to say about giving and generosity, there's two. This is a short read by Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. This is an amazing book. Years ago, we bought one of these for every person in the church. Somebody made a donation and said, I want to buy one of these books for everybody in the church because it changed my life. I want it to change other people. So these are free tonight. And then if you want something a little bit more challenging, you want something that's a little bit more heavy, Uh, then you can pick up uh, Robert Morris of Blessed Life. Again, all these books are free, so they're going to be first come, first served tonight. So this is what I brought. This This is the very first annual report that the church produced and put out in February of 2008. February of 2008. When we came here in October of two thousand and seven, the church was just finishing up its second year, and, like many church plants, it had lots of energy and lots of enthusiasm, but it had no structure, it did not have any financial plan, it did not have a budget there wasn 't a finance team and so one of the first things that we did is we put all of that in place starting that first year in two thousand and eight. The church was nineteen thousand dollars in debt to its building fund and didn 't even know it and that 's not uncommon for churches that are just Starting out, and so that early finance team took on the responsibility of saying, we, "We want to create a budget for 2008 where we can fund all the ministries that need to be funded, but we want to pay back every penny to the building fund, all $19,000." So I made some notes here. In 2007, the, the total tithes and offerings for City Life was $195,000. This went back when we were meeting in Regal Movie Theaters over off of off of Victory. In 2008, we put a budget together for $198,000 and we were believing God that we were going to beat that budget by $19,000 and we did. We, we met budget that year, and almost to the penny, we were able to pay back all the $19,000 to replenish that building fund, right? If you were here in those times, you remember us making that announcement at the next business meeting in 2009 and just how faith-filled we were. And so year after year after year, if you've been on, oh, come on, we're getting ready to celebrate 10 years. We've been together with us with you on that. For eight, some of you came before us. 2015, you ready? 2015, all the numbers aren't in yet, but we're going to probably push past $470,000 in tithes and offerings. Not counting Faith Promise, not counting 2020. Come on, that's amazing. Is it not? 2016, 2016. our projections, we believe, will be far north of 575 knocking on the door of $600,000. We're not a big church, but those are big numbers. Those are big numbers. And you know why those numbers are big? is because for the last 10 years, there have been people that have said to this church, I'm willing to have the heart of a Magi. I'm willing to have the heart of a Magi. I'm willing to demonstrate these five things that we've studied together tonight. Those numbers are there because people stepped up and said there is a material response that I'm supposed to have to Christ and he's going to find me faithful. I'm sharing those numbers with you tonight because it's your turn for the next 10 years. For the next 10 years. And for those of us that have been here for the last eight, we don't get to stop. Come on, that's the beauty. There's no retirement from generosity. We're going to continue to carry the heart of a Magi as we have for these last several years. And all of you that are new, it's your turn to step in and say, We're going to have the heart of a Magi with you because we believe, come on, that every one of those dollars are going to do more in his house than it is in our own. Stand with me as we worship. Father, As we close out this year together as a church, Lord, we don't wanna just come into that business meeting with a financial plan. We wanna come into that business meeting with deep, deep desire to build your kingdom, to do your work because we know, Father, that it might not be a star in the sky that's leading us onward in our journey, but we know that there is something brighter than that star, and Jesus, it's you. It's the radiance of your glory. It's the majesty that you bring through who you are and the perfection of your plan and purpose for our life and the grace and the mercy that you give to us. It draws us forward, and may it be, God, just like the Magi, that we would take every step, that we would come as far as we are supposed to, and that we would bring every gift that you would require. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.